This is the Illinois. This is my time. This is our time. Grab that bull by the horns and own it, man. Today's your day. Let's go to work. Welcome to the Illinois podcast. The Illinois. Cutting through the noise of Illinois politics. Here's your host, Patrick Fingston. Hi again, everyone. Patrick Fingston here. I write the Illinois political newsletter, which you can find online at theillinois.com. Sign up for our daily uh, newsletters and information that comes out on the state of Illinois government and politics. We're back uh, today in another crazy week of Illinois politics, uh, not only with what, what is and isn't happening at the State House. In fact, we're, we're going to kind of detour from the State House in the last uh, three weeks of the legislative session and the fact that the, the so-called ComEd 4, uh, four defendants in the bribery case uh, of uh, former Speaker Michael Madigan, uh, Ann Parmajori, the former CEO of ComEd, uh, John Hooker, former uh, in-house lobbyist at ComEd, uh, Jay Doherty, a former uh, ComEd contract lobbyist, and Mike McLean, a former ComEd contract lobbyist and uh, person of influence with uh, the former House Speaker, were all convicted on on bribery charges, among others, uh, on Tuesday. Uh, we're going to spend most of our conversation on that uh, today. Uh, we will speak. We'll speak with John Seidel, the federal courts reporter for. Uh, the Chicago Sun-Times, who was in the courtroom pretty much every every grinding minute of that multiple-week trial. And I have some really good insights from him as to uh, why the trial went the way that it did. I, I've, I've said here and, and and in columns that I wasn't totally sold that that the government made the, uh, the case, that this was more than just trying to curry favor with a politician through lobbying activities. Uh, and and the federal government clearly convinced the jury that uh, that that this was more than just lobbying, uh, and and of course the impact that it will have on uh, the former House Speaker himself, who's under indictment and faces a trial in federal court potentially uh, early next year, about eleven months from now. Uh, we'll also talk to uh, former House Republican leader Jim Durkin who kind of raised the alarm for years about uh, potential corruption uh, among uh, Democrats in Springfield, specifically Mike Madigan, uh, wondering if he's feeling a little vindication now following uh, this this trial and and these these allegations that have come to fruition through convictions. Uh, We'll be interested to, to talk to him and just in the interest of a full disclosure, I reached out to a handful of Democrats to talk about uh, corruption in the ComEd case, and I either did not hear back or they were not interested in uh, appearing on our, our podcast this week, and you can imagine why. Uh, and also, uh, we're recording this Thursday night, as 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 you'll hear it sometime Friday or, or over the weekend. Uh, late Thursday, actually, it was while we were talking to John Seidel from the, the Sun-Times, uh, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, a single judge uh, on the, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, put a stay on the stay of the uh, assault weapons ban. So so you'll remember last Friday, uh, I believe it was at the end of April, uh, the Southern Illinois judge, Steve McGlynn, uh, 
put the put put a an injunction in place uh and joining essentially the uh taking the assault weapons ban that was passed in january and, and taking it out of effect uh pending uh pending trial in the southern district uh, the the defendants which include the governor the the legislative leaders the attorney general they all went straight to the appellate court and uh, uh an appellate justice appellate court uh judge uh on thursday uh granted their motion to reenact uh the uh the assault weapons ban so uh, as we stand here uh you know i sit here recording this late thursday night uh the assault weapons ban is back in effect in the state of illinois uh, let's, uh, let's, let's get into it. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get started. All right. We're pleased to bring in our friend, John Seidel, the, the great federal course reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times who, who, uh, has been in, uh, probably every menacing minute of, of this ComEd trial. And, uh, and also is following the assault weapons ban case, which we'll talk about, uh, as we record this, uh, Thursday afternoon, there's, there's some breaking stuff. So, uh, John, let's start with ComEd. Uh, you and I have talked a couple of times during during this trial that that I was skeptical that the feds were meeting that burden of of here's the quid pro quo. Here's the the clear bribe that Mike Madigan benefited from from this this deal. I obviously wasn't in the room, but I saw the the evidence and, and the, the videos and the, the calls and that sort of thing. I, Listen, I've been around this game for a long time, and everyone knows that there have been bad deals happening over the years. But even I wasn't sold; it was done in court. So, so as you guys talked to to the attorneys, as you talked to jurors, what made um, what was what was the winning message here? What was the strategy that worked? Well, there's a lot to say there, but I, I think that I'll start with um, what the jurors have told us. Um, there was, we've heard from a couple of jurors. One uh, in particular spoke um, for quite a bit of time to several reporters in the lobby of the Dirksen building quite eloquently. And, you know, they, they said they really ached about this, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, they, I think they considered whether or not there was an intent to influence here. And what it just came down to is, I believe she said that this is just not lobbying. There's, this, is, this is something beyond that. And, you know, you mentioned a quid pro quo. I don't actually believe that the case law requires an explicit quid pro quo as we've come to know it. I, I think really the key here is a corrupt intent by the defendants. And, you know, there is a legal definition of that corrupt intent, which speaks to, in this case, Michael Madigan's um, official duties or official actions. But, you know, I think that when it comes to the corrupt intent, you know, that's why we heard so much about these allies of Madigan, subcontractors you know, who were allied with him um, and how they did no work. They got all this money. They got $1.3 million across five people across eight years um, and, and just seemed to do absolutely nothing for ComEd it's been pointed out by defense attorneys, there's actually nothing illegal about the fact that they didn't work, except that it speaks to the corrupt intent. And, um, you know, the fact is, 
They were getting this money. The defendants knew about it. The defendants knew they weren't working. And it just so happens these were five people who were tied to Madigan. And I also think to the think back to the scheme involving Juan Achoa and how this idea was floated of not, you know, there was pushback about putting Juan Achoa on the ComEd board, which is what Madigan apparently wanted. The suggestion was floated, well, maybe we could get him a job that pays the same amount of money. But it turns out Madigan wanted him on the board. And so Madigan told McLean he'd like them to keep pressing on it. McLean took that message to Anne Promigiore, um, who at that point, you know, I forget exactly in that moment whether she was CEO of ComEd or moved on, but she's clearly in a position to push on this. She took those orders. She she heard that Madigan wanted her to keep pressing, and she said that she will keep pressing. There was no question, no if. So I think, you know, I, I think it was the corrupt intent that, that was really the core here. Now, all of that said, the defense attorneys had lots to say about it. They denied that there was a corrupt intent. They denied that there was... Um, well, any quid pro quo that, that you mentioned, and they rejected this theory, but, and a lot of people thought this would be some kind of mixed verdict. At the end of the day, it was a resounding guilty across the board. Yeah, you know, I mean, the idea of paying lobbyists not to work, it's actually not uncommon. I, I, I know a lot of, uh, I can think of specifically a healthcare lobbyist in another state who has for years, he's such a powerhouse, was hired by the other side of an issue so that he wouldn't go beat them. You know, even though we don't want you to work for us, we just don't want you to work for the other guys. Yeah. That's that itself isn't illegal. It's where right. where they were specifically currying favor for Madigan. Right? What was the intent? Was it the intent to just keep these guys off the playing field so competitors couldn't get them? Or were they were doing were they doing this so that Mike Madigan wouldn't kill their bill, which you know apparently is the that was the point of this, that the the fear that Madigan would take some adverse action against them. Let's let's talk about the defense because it seemed very scattershot. Uh, at least as these guys tried to get, uh, tried to to find their way out of it. Because we we've talked a lot about the uh, the tapes and the the videos, etc. But uh, you know, you had a couple of these guys on the stand in their own defense, and Promajori specifically, uh, from what we heard, did a very poor job in in defending herself. Couldn't defend some of the actions. In the end, how how did you guys see what the defense was doing? Did you see their strategy? Could you understand what they were doing? Yeah, I understood what they were doing, and I I thought overall, and you can we can pick about certain things, but overall, I thought they I, I thought they put up a, a very good fight. I mean, and definitely had people questioning where the legal line was, when did this become a crime? And, and you know, Patrick Cotter on behalf of Michael McClain called this the dark theory of the government, that look, politics is raw. Um, you know, lobbying is about relationships. This is about goodwill. Um, I, I think they did as, as well as anyone can do to, to send that message and, and try and counter the government narrative. And yeah, look, it's, you know, from from day to day, bouncing back and forth between different pieces of evidence, cross examinations, arguments like, man, it was a it was a lot to take in and a lot to think about. And on any given day, you know, you're you're you're, you're kind of like looking at this thing from from a different angle. Um, but but yeah, we I think we heard their message. And I think the jurors, more importantly, heard that message, um, you know, and. 
I think there were members of the defense team who and the defendants who looked quite dejected the other night because, again, it was just at the end of the day completely rejected. What's the what's the feeling now about the Madigan case? Because he was, I mean, even though he wasn't on trial in this case, he was on trial in this case. I mean, this was this was a this was a Madigan case. Um, I, I made the comment that the the most fearful guy in the state on Tuesday should have been Michael Joseph Madigan because this this clearly spells really bad news for him, right? I, I don't think there's any other way to spin it. I, you know, it was, um, you know, again, you saw these, these are these were elite lawyers. You know, Scott Lazar on behalf of Ampromisore, he's a former U.S. attorney in Chicago. They're they're all everyone involved in the defense they're great attorneys and they did their best and they fought tooth and nail and they lost and you're right michael madigan was was front and center in this trial even though he never stepped in the room um so where does his case go from here i i'm not i don't know that there's a deal to be got to be cut um you know it it appears there likely will will be a trial i the you know and this also cuts both ways in that on the one hand, um, the defense attorneys, I, I, his, the, you know, I'm sorry, let me back. On the one hand, his, the, the prosecutor's got a chance to run this evidence through to get these witnesses on the stand, um, you know, and they will probably refine their case between now and, and whenever, you know, he's, he's set to go on trial in April. You know, if he goes on trial in April, we'll, we'll see it then. Um, Madigan's team also got a chance to to look at this evidence as well, which is something defendants don't often get. So uh, there's a little a little bit of an opportunity for them to to maybe take a look at this over the next several months and think about what they can do with it. But I think that's the only silver lining I can see for them. You brought that up though, and that's that's I think that's where I was going on this this question was is there a deal to be made? I mean, if you know, Sonny Pasquale is acting, you know, U.S. attorney. Any deal this big probably has to be, you know, agreed on by the the attorney general. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that it goes as far as the White House, but I mean, it, there are political forces in play here. Um, is is and, and we're also talking about an 80 plus year old man who doesn't yeah. want to die in prison. Yeah. Uh, even if it's white collar prison, it's still prison. Uh, so so is there a deal to be cut? I'm very skeptical. And, and, you know, you mentioned his age and not wanting to die in prison. I'm, I'm even more skeptical that there's a deal to be cut that would keep him from going to prison in his eighties. Um, you know, he is, as they say, they, the feds flip the flip people to get to the big fish. Michael, Michael Madigan is the big fish. He's the top of the ladder. Um, I'm not sure what the incentives are um, really on either side, other than to just try and avoid a, you know, quite an ordeal, but, but look, I mean, I've been surprised before and, and we'll certainly be watching, especially after this to, to see if this starts to go in a different direction. If, but if I, you're I just, the feds, if you're the feds, do you offer McLean or Promajor or Hooker or, or even Tim Mapes, who's, who's charged in a, a separate, but slightly related case. Do you offer them a deal or a reduced sentence to, to flip at this point, since it, we can, you know, Mike McLean, you're 75. We can keep you out of prison if you work with us. Uh, possibly, although I think there'd be some credibility issues uh, if they f- only flipped after they're convicted and face serious prison time. I mean, I, I think those overtures have been made. 
Um, and we are where we are. So again, I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of signs of it. Believe me, I've asked these questions. I, I, I'm not getting a lot of hints that these are possibilities. But look, this was a big verdict. <laughs> I think it shook a lot of people. I, I, and I think that um, this, this reality that we're in now was abstract for a lot of people for a long time. The, you know, this indictment against the four came down in, in November of 2020. So it's been more than two years that they lived with this, you know, and, and you know, defense attorneys saying, well, fights. I know there are going to be appeals. Um, but but now that reality is here. They are convicted. And, and we are talking about serious prison time and, and the lay of the land has changed. And, you know, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm not saying anything definitively. I'm just saying as I sit here right now, I'm skeptical that those deals will be cut. But, I, you know, I'm not I'm not not watching for that. And before we, before we let you go, John, and I appreciate all your, your context on this. Um, we're, we're talking late Friday or late Thursday afternoon. Uh, the Seventh Circuit uh, Court of Appeals has just weighed in on the assault weapons ban. It looks like they have stopped the stay that was put on by by Southern District Judge Steve McGlynn. Uh, it, it seems to trail along with what is going on in the Naperville case. What what do you know? What do you see from the order? Right. And, and, and you're right. This order just came down. So I'm, I'm still trying to make sure that I've got a, a good hold on everything. But my reading of it is that good incentive to go read your Sun-Times tomorrow. Exactly. Right? You know, the, uh, you know, Judge McGlynn on Friday entered an order blocking enforcement of the assault weapons ban. Now McGlynn's order has been stayed um, by Judge Easterbrook in the Seventh Circuit, which uh, would appear to mean that our assault weapons ban in Illinois is back on and can be enforced uh, for the time being. Judge Easterbrook's order appears to also uh, have some temporary, you know, a temporary sense to it. He's, he's still inviting briefing on the subject. So I think he's going to continue to analyze this. Um, and in the meantime, you're right, the, the Robert Beavis case, Beavis case from Naperville, uh, which is now before uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett in the Supreme Court, you know, uh, she has asked for a response from opposing sides uh, due by Monday. So we're also watching to see what, what she will do. I feel like we're very much in an on and again, off again situation with this assault, assault weapons ban. It appears we are, it is now on again, uh, but we'll just keep watching as these legal challenges continue to move their way through the courts. It was like dating in my twenties on again. And ah. off again. <laughs> um, the the reality here is that this case, I mean, no matter what happens in the state Supreme Court, though, I don't think anyone who who has any realistic understanding of the state Supreme Court thinks they're going to to uphold the challenge. They're they're going to uphold the law. Mm -hmm. um, the the federal court here is the issue. Are are we just bound for years and years of appeals now to get us to the Supreme Court, or or is there a way that this gets fast tracked? Because well, that's where I, it's going, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Justice Barrett could could send a, a very clear message. Maybe um, she she may decline to. I, I are we bound for years of back and forth on this ban? I don't I don't know that we are, but you know, unfortunately, this is kind of what happens in the courts. We these things get bounced around. And I would hope that you know, sometime soon, we will get at least some sort of stability from the courts. Um, while these, these these challenges continue to to make their way 
up. It is interesting to me that the Seventh Circuit earlier declined to block the ban and now has agreed to block an order that blocked the ban. Um, so they appear to have shown a preference there. Uh, but I'm reading a lot into there's been no real commentary from the judges there. Um, maybe we'll get some of that from from Justice Barrett and uh, the Supreme Court to, to stabilize things. Um, but yeah, I do think as far as litigations goes, this is, we're probably going to be dealing with this for a while until we do get a final answer. Yeah. And it was pretty obvious in the Glenn's order last Friday um, that, you know, even though he, he put a, you know, kind of a disclosure at the bottom saying, Hey, I, we'll listen to this, but it was pretty clear that, that he thought that it was, it was unconstitutional. So, so it's, it's pretty obvious this is moving up the chain. Yes. Yes, it is. Yep. All right. John Seidel, Chicago Sun-Times, uh, the, the fantastic federal courts reporter. Uh, follow him on Twitter, read his newspaper, uh, get all the good stuff, get smarter. John, we appreciate your time. Thank you. We're joined now by the former Republican leader in the Illinois House, uh, former state representative, Republican Jim Durkin, uh, who resigned uh, at the beginning of uh, 2023, uh, former assistant attorney general, uh, former uh, prosecutor in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office, and a guy who's been talking about corruption for as long as I've known him. Uh, so I think it's appropriate to kind of uh, get your perspective uh, in the uh, aftermath of the, the ComEd trial and 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 maybe reaction to, to how Mike Madigan should be feeling right now. So, uh, leader, first, thanks for the time. What sure. was your what was your reaction to uh, to the comment verdict? Well, I was surprised, but uh, it was uh, it was expected. Uh, I thought based on the, it's hard to you know understand the, the 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 evidence when you're basing it on tweets coming out of the courtroom. But from what I understand. Uh, the evidence which was presented was very strong, was very powerful. And that also when the, I think the defendants did not do themselves favors when they went on the stand and they were tripped up with their own statements from uh, uh, videotapes and also uh, wiretaps, which the jury found that they were not truthful and lied. So uh, it's a another sad day for Illinois, uh, particularly a um, uh, another mark on Springfield. And it's a, uh, I've been talking about this whole issue of Mike Madigan and ComEd for almost four years. And I tried to start an investigation in the House of Representatives to bring this at least to a level where we can conduct our own investigation. And that, I was stiff-armed on that by the current speaker and the now head of the Democrat Party of Illinois, uh, Representative Hernandez. So I will just say that if the legislature is not able to accomplish any type of meaningful police action, policing actions against itself, then that is why you have a U.S. attorney's office and that you get results from yesterday. So uh, I do feel a certain sense of vindication uh, from uh, this uh, uh, from this verdict. Uh, but again, that's not something that anybody nor should I feel real proud of. It's just what is the spring? What is Springfield going to do in, in light of this? Uh, we're a reactionary body, and if there was ever a time to react in a thoughtful, in a meaningful way, this is the time to do it. Do you believe that um, there was anything to the argument? You've talked to plenty of lobbyists in, in your time. You've you've gotten plenty of campaign contributions from uh, ComEd and, and and other utilities and other businesses that do that are regulated by the state and, and lobbyists who write checks. Is it 
easy or is it something that the general public can understand the difference between lobbying practices like writing a check to a politician like going in and and trying to you know make a politician happy and crossing that line to to bribery it, it seemed like a very gray line to me i mean and I, I i wasn't around springfield as long as you but i've been around for plenty of years that it just it seems like a convoluted question Are, were you surprised that the jury got it uh you know what i thought it'd be a tough question because uh, from the a lot of people's perspective, it is a gray area. But if you read the comments of the jury foreman and also members of the jury, they were very clear that they understood that there is a need for lobbyists. Those are their words. These are the jurors from yesterday to help educate members of the General Assembly. But there is a line that gets crossed when you do the types of things which Mike McLean and the ComEd crew uh, did uh, to influence Mike Madigan in exchange for legislative favors. They, every one of these cases is fact determinative. And in this situation, the jury was able to distinguish between lobbying versus bribery. And that was based on the facts that were presented to them. So, uh, you know, it goes back to, is there truly a quid pro quo? And is this done to, uh, what is the intention of these of this offering? Now, every lobbyist wants to make a case on behalf of their interest. But when you go to the extremes that uh, Mike McLean did, John Hooker, going back many years with ComEd, that does not fit the type of profile that most lobbyists go about their business in Springfield. Was, you know, I, I, I don't know Mike McLean well at all. I've met him once or twice just in passing. Um, was there was there a, a feeling that he was dirty uh, over the years or, or was it just that he was Madigan's dude? I, I can't say that. I knew Mike, Mike McLean just by saying hello. I've known him for years, but I was not aware of the business that he did. Uh, we often would only see him sitting outside on a cement bench outside the chamber or sitting with Mike Madigan uh, at, uh, at a, in a restaurant. So I'm not quite sure exactly what his uh, uh, role was in Springfield, but it's not something that I was particularly aware of. I know he was extremely close to him and uh, that Mike McLean basically had his hands in every major issue, which is fine. There's no nothing wrong with that, but... After that, I was not aware of what exactly, to the extent that he went to uh, make sure that the speaker was taken care of. Just how bad is this result for Mike Madigan? It's terrible. Um, that's a question that a lot of lawyers have had based on whether, depending on how the jury came back, if it came back as a not guilty, Obviously, it'd be very good for him because it shows that people of uh, that the people in the jury pool uh, were able to distinguish between a crime and also what is, uh, you know, a legal lobbying act. Uh, and they saw through that. But these are witnesses that uh, went under in, uh, intense cross-examination, um, who some of them will probably be brought back again from Mike Madigan's trial. Uh, and there are sure I'm sure that there's other individuals that people have been scratching their head. Uh, wondering why they weren't called as witnesses. So I just think that uh, Mike Madigan's case is getting worse for him. 
there may be a situation where some of these defendants uh, may ask for some type of leniency in exchange for cooperating with the U.S. attorney on the Madigan trial. That's not unheard of. So, uh, and for those who are considering that, uh, they just need to ask themselves, would Mike Madigan take a bullet for them? So, you know, if, if you're Mike Madigan and, and, you know, I mean, you, you were a Republican leader, you were running the campaign arm, you wanted to be speaker. Sure. Um, what, what would be different for, from, from a, a Republican angle here? I mean, you, you would still be getting requests from ComEd. You would still be having lobbyists knock on your door. You know, you've got people who are, who are close to you, who, who can, you know, do things, around the side, you know, what, what, what's the difference in what Madigan did and what happens in any other state legislature? You know, it's hard to tell, but we're learning more and more of it, of how the Madigan playbook um, has operated. And uh, yesterday was a, uh, a very bad example of how government should be run. Um, People or lobbyists and businesses, uh, associations come to Springfield uh, for the simple reason. They believe that something, uh, they've been wronged and they need to get legislative help. Everyone should get a fair shot at having their problem addressed through the legislative process. Uh, and not one group should get a preference over the other. Little guys should have the ability to at least have their bills called. And that's the, what my biggest complaint has been over the years is that not only is the uh, the, the, the House Democrat Rules Committee extremely and bitterly partisan, uh, but they just never give even the little guy a chance to have their bills called and give them, a, a whether it's an up or down vote, in front of a committee. That's all people want. They just want to be heard. And they want to know that at least they have a shot to make their case. Um, and uh, and the, the Rules Committee goes beyond the, uh, the verdict that was returned yesterday. This is more about power and control that has existed under that capital by the Democrats who've run that chamber. Nothing's changed to date. Uh, we are still blocked out, and I noticed that the De Republicans are still blocked out from a number of bills that they introduce. Uh, never see the light of day. Uh, I didn't get much under the new speaker. I really, I think I maybe had one or two bills in a resolution or two that even got out of the chambers. So that was, <laughs> that's a whole different story. But, uh, but the problem is, is that the way that the chamber operates, it doesn't give the little guy a chance to make his case or to have his voice heard uh, during the no legislative process. Yeah, it certainly seems like uh, Leader McCombie uh, doesn't have a particularly improved relationship with the new speaker that uh, even compared to what you did. Um, and, and, and you guys had some history <laughs> behind it, too. So um, let me let me ask you this before we let you go, uh, Leader. Um, I talked a little bit in the, the newsletter Tuesday morning about or Wednesday morning about um, the, the need for some real ethics reform, uh, lobbying reform, campaign finance reform, a revolving door provision that doesn't have, you know, that, that, that isn't as leaky as a bad basement window. Uh, what, what, if, if Durkin's bill could get called and passed tomorrow, what, what cleans this mess up? You know, that's a good question. We've had a number of bills over the past few years introduced, which uh, get buried, 
get thrown into a you know a select committee on uh, ethics like they did two years ago, which is kind of funny because I'm listening to Democrats saying that we've gone, we've taken great steps to clean up Springfield, and that's absolute nonsense, absolute nonsense. It's just it's window dressing. Uh, three years ago, there was a representative part of Mike Madigan's uh, legislative team named Louis Arroyo, who's a registered lobbyist in the city of Chicago, who was trying to bribe a sitting state senator as a lobbyist for a, a gaming interest while that state senator was wearing a wire for the federal government. You can't make this stuff up. This is like right out of a Hollywood script. But the first question we had is why is a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, a mystery that why the legislature, members of legislature can lobby because they're not prohibited. So we said, let's ban the legislature. That's five words in a sentence, ban members of the legislature from lobbying. That couldn't pass. So we do have members of the legislature that are still or were registered as lobbyists as of a few months ago in city hall or county government. That's not right. You know, the members of the legislature are the ones who are appropriating billions of dollars to city to the to local governments in the city of Chicago. I would just start with that. But the things he hit on and I'm not going to sit in the shoes of the of the legislature, but, you know, economic interest statement. Uh, further campaign finance reform, uh, whatever that looks like, there's always a way around it. But I think the whole issue of transparency needs to be completed. It needs to be brought wide open to the public's viewing. And there's just a lot of things in Springfield that are not, that the public is unaware of. Things that sound very, very dull and boring about how does a a budget. What is the posting requirement for a budget? I mean, you know, you've got a $40 billion piece of paper that uh, doesn't go through a committee. If it does, it takes about five minutes and there's no viewing in the public. I could spend a long time talking about that, but there needs to be uh, a stronger economic interest statement to avoid conflicts of interest. Um, and there has to be some type of uh, stronger regulation regarding the lobbying core but I don't have anything offhand that I can recommend other than why don't we just say that legislators should be banned from lobbying. That was, and that's why I felt that the last bill, which the Democrats taught, said it was a great, great progress on cleaning up Illinois government. I voted against it for specifically because of that reason, because we did not ban the legislature, members of the legislature from lobbying. And one of them was convicted, is now doing hard time in the federal joint because of that. Should companies like ComEd that are specifically state regulated, that are utilities, whether it's ComEd, whether it's Exelon, whether it's Ameren, uh, water companies, et cetera, uh, NICOR, should, should they be allowed to make campaign contributions to, uh, to the politicians that directly oversee their business? Well, you're going to get into a lot. Every, there's so many different businesses that are... Uh under the purview of the state, whether in the Department of Agriculture, people under the Department of Professional Regulation, doctors, dentists, farmers. I think it's easy to say that, but I think it's not practical uh, to say that uh, public utilities are gonna be prohibited from uh, making contributions um, because there are so many other interests in Illinois which are highly regulated by state governments that also fall in that, under that same purview. We hope you're enjoying life post-legislature. Uh, yeah. I appreciate you taking appreciate you taking some time to, you and I have talked a lot about 
about corruption and ethics over the years, and I, I felt like it might be a, a good time to catch up, especially considering uh, uh, the circumstances over the last few days. So, Leader, I really appreciate it. All right, Pat. Be good. Thanks to Leader Durkin for his time. I, I should mention he uh, he called me after we, we got done uh, recording uh, late Wednesday and uh, said, I, I forgot to send you this page from the Sun-Times uh, that the the headline was clear. This is not lobbying. So uh, I think I think Durkin's trying to 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 make the point as well that uh, clearly uh, the defendants were were going above and beyond uh, what is acceptable in in that case. So it's going to be a, a long eleven months for Mike Madigan. I think a lot of people believe. And the question in politics is, you know, there are going to be plenty of Democrats who who are going to act like this never happened. Uh, oh, I never heard of Mike Madigan, even if they took millions and millions in campaign dollars from him, uh, some of which probably came through through ComEd at some point. Uh, will there will there be ethics reform? Probably not. Definitely not in the next 13 days or whatever is left of the legislative session. And, and in 2024, when you've got Mike Madigan on trial, potentially, can Republicans whose campaign arm has been essentially feckless for the last few cycles, can they turn that issue and can they turn corruption into an issue that moves to Illinois? They haven't been able to yet. So why start now, right? Thanks so much for taking time to join us. We really do appreciate your support. You can sign up for our daily emails at theillinois.com. There's a subscribe button up in the top right uh, of, your, uh, of your screen and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those fun places too. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great weekend, everybody.